Um, I just, uh, I mean, to know no matter what goes on, he is there and he is capable of taking care of it. And, and you know, we hear the struggles we have with our health and with jobs and with people. And, and no matter what that is, he is there. Um, and if your eyes are on him, then all the rest of this stuff, got to be careful what we say, we're in church, um, all this stuff goes away. You know, I mean, it's there, but it's not important. Um, anyway, my name is Eric Birch, as most of you know. Uh, it's really exciting to see so many people back in the building. And welcome everybody that's online as well. Uh, I know I got my first shot on Tuesday. Yes, so, uh, yes, life is approaching, well, the new normal normal, right? I mean, it obviously will never be the old normal, but at least it's not the most recently not normal. Um, and so hopefully we'll have a much more pleasant new normal. Anyway, it's been a busy weekend. Um, we have Owen's picture. Owen, so this is um, grandchild number 10 uh, from Eric and Corinne. Uh, the grandchildren are ahead again, so there's ten grandchildren and nine great-grandchildren, and uh, so I'm hoping that that'll hold for a stretch, um, and then of course once the grandchildren get old enough, and hopefully old enough, uh, then we'll have a whole nother round, right? So um, a, definitely a full quiver. Uh, I, and I'd be honest, Donna is the saint in all of this. She took care of four grandkids for most of the week, and then six for the rest of the week, uh, along with everything else. And, and some of them are little, um, and so they're like little tornadoes, you know. And um, so I always thought it'd be cool if they could make like Velcro suits, you know. You just stick them to the wall, you know. <laughs> and then, you know, misbehave again, stuck to the wall. So anyway, I've always been impressed by this whole process of procreation. To me, it's just it's amazing that that God creates this life in a womb and, and he weaves it and knits it and it becomes this unique being created in God's image. And, and it's born and all this new opportunity, this, this new promise, this, 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 this wonderfulness that comes out of all of that. Um, and unfortunately, much like even the garden, they reach some point where they go, hey, I can disobey. Usually like around one and a half or two. I don't know how many people who raised kids had that point where your two-year-old said, no. And you're like, oh, we're here. <laughs> the Eve moment has occurred. They've, they've discovered they can disobey, right? And then find out they can reject their authority. I mean, Certainly, as, as a kid, I took plenty of opportunity to reject the authority of my parents. Um, but there's an interesting transition that the child goes through. At some point, they start to know they're doing wrong, right? I mean, for a certain point, they just do it because it's what they do. But at some point, they go, no, I'm acting wrong. They become aware that they're acting wrong. And then they have to make a conscious choice because if they know they're doing wrong, they're choosing to do wrong or right. Right? They have to make that decision. Um, and hopefully sooner than later, they'll hear the gospel message and realize that they can be free in Christ and not a slave to sin. And that transition 
now provides them with a guide to what's right and true and how they live their life. And obviously, like I said, the sooner the better that happens. Um, you know, I was in my 30s, and so a lot of debris in the background here. But uh, it's so interesting when I talk to people, and they're like, oh, I wish I had a story like yours. No, you don't. You do not. You, you want to be one of those people that came to know God at eight and has never looked back. That's who you want to be. Trust me. All right. As Dan pointed out, we're starting a new series today. So at the beginning of the year, we started going through the book of Genesis, right? And the book of Genesis is all about new, right? We have this new creation, and then we had the, the garden in the fall, so we have this new problem. Um, and then we have this new covenant, we have these new people, um, and we have all this development of newness going through in Genesis. And God creates these new people, but they don't always appreciate that they're God's people. Right now I'm going through, um, I, I, I have this, read the Bible in a year thing, and, and it's the first time I've, or the second time, but I'm reading it chronologically. So I read it last year chronologically, and it really opens up your mind differently to read the Bible chronologically than it does in the order it was written. Really, you know, and you realize this, this process of, that the Jewish people go through where they submit to God, then they rebel against God, then they submit to God, and, and, and they like get consequences, right? Remember the, like the snake and the 40,000 dead, and I mean, there's consequences, right? And so we look through that as we go through Genesis, and we're talking there about this new covenant. In the New Testament. So the Old Testament is telling us of the New Testament, the New Covenant that's coming in Jesus Christ. And so today we're starting a new book in the, the book of Galatians. And Galatians, we're going to talk about this New Covenant, this new relationship that we have with God, not through the law, but through grace and peace of Jesus Christ. Now, the book of Galatians is significant because a lot of people believe it was one of the first letters that were written. Um, the Galatia was, uh, Galatians was written probably A.D. 48 or 49 and is addressed to the churches in Galatia. Can you put up that map real quick? So this is what we would call modern-day Turkey. And if you look right in the center of there, you'll see Galatia. Right, And so it's important to understand that when Paul's talking to these groups of people, he's talking to collections of congregations. So when he talks about the churches in Galatia, he is talking about the cities that are right there in the center uh, of Turkey. And the um, churches typically are considered to be Pisidian, Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, and Derb. Uh, and they were... Uh, witness to during Paul's first missionary journey, and we read about that in Acts 13 and 14. Okay, so it's really important to understand that he is talking to a group of people that are separated typically by by ethnicity or by political structure, not like we do today where we separate it by denominations. Right? You go, well, I'm of this or I'm of that. Right? Here, it's it's a localized area. And typically, because of what was going on in the history with what the Romans and the Greeks and all those folks were doing, there was structure in each of those areas very specific to that area. Okay? All right. So, you understand where Galatia is? Um, so now, as we work through the book of Galatians, we're going to see that Paul has two main focuses. They're parallel through almost everything that he wrote. 
right? The first of that is that he is an apostle. And that's a really important point. And the second is that he is there to share the truth of the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And that becomes a big issue because he's going to be challenged through a lot of that. Now, if you recall when we went through First and Second Corinthians, Paul was challenged by a number of people, but particularly the Judaizers. Now, who were the Judaizers? Well, they were a group of people who believed you had to be Jewish to be Christian. You had to follow all the Jewish rules in order to be Christian. So that's, you know, things like circumcision, eating the proper food, all that kind of stuff. And Paul is going to battle with those folks all along. They're going to appear constantly. Um, And the point to understand, and that Paul makes a really clear point here, is that Judaism is a religion of works. It's about doing, right? Following the law, sacrificing. When you read, it's amazing, I read through the Old Testament, and I'm thinking, man, that place had to stink. I mean, when you look at all these animal parts and all the stuff they had to do, and yuck, you know, and I'm not against killing animals. My gosh, though, and they, they went to town. Um, and that all ends. And that whole process of doing everything by works ends with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, and so there's this battle now between these Judaizers and, and Paul, who is carrying that message, that gospel message of Jesus Christ. So, again, unlike Judaism, which is of works, Christianity is about grace and peace. And therefore, we are free in Christ. Now, Paul's going to challenge these folks right from the very beginning. So we're going to start with uh, Galatians 1, verses 1 and 2. Paul an apostle, not sent for men, nor through the agency of man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brethren who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Now, first of all, an apostle is very different than a disciple. Jesus had lots of disciples. He only had 12 apostles. We read in Luke 6, verses 12 and 13, It was at this time that he went off to the mountain to pray, and he spent the whole night in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also named as apostles. So we know that at the time that that Jesus was crucified, we still had 11 of the original 12, right? We know what happened to the 12th one. Um, And so now Paul becomes the 12th one when Jesus appears to him on the road to Damascus. And so the point that Paul's making here in verse 1 is in direct challenge to these Judaizers. The Judaizers are there because the church of Jerusalem has sent them to go interfere with Paul. So they were sent from men. On the other hand, Paul is saying, no, I'm here because of Jesus Christ. I'm appointed here as an apostle by Jesus Christ. And it's interesting because we see this struggle going through all of Christianity. This idea that Christianity is an agency of man. That man somehow has the right to mess with it, to change it, to add to it, to subtract from it. 
And we see that in, in the, this tremendous number of denominations that exist. We know in first century church there was one. Now there's, I don't know how many, lots. <laughs> right? And it's because we're all arguing about some specific point in all the body of Scripture. It isn't how it should be. So, the, the argument is that the Bible was written by men. Men are church folks. Therefore, the church should have some say in what the Bible message is. Well, clearly that's rubbish. I'd use stronger words, but again, we're in church. Um, God inspired the words of Scripture for the writers to put down in their words in the Bible. God protects the word. The words that are there are there because God wants them there. We talk about how you know, nothing should be changed in the word. And yet we see that, man, all the time. right? How many versions of the Bible do we have? Um, it's interesting when you look at, the, um, for instance, the, the Bible that's used by Jehovah Witnesses, the key verses that are changed, which fundamentally changes how we understand Christianity, right? So Christianity is from God and about Jesus and his work of redemption and resurrection. Now, Paul additionally is making clear that Jesus Christ is no ordinary man. Unlike these Judaizers that were appointed by just ordinary men and sent to get in Paul's way up in Galatia, Paul was became an apostle by Jesus Christ, who is no ordinary man, but is in fact the Son of God. Okay? So he's making a strong point that we can set aside these opinions of these men that are here and instead focus on this message that Jesus Christ gave us. Now, um, unfortunately, even today we see how people... Um, discount the words of the apostles, right? The argument that, well, they were just people too, and therefore they were fallible, and therefore, you know, maybe we uh, should question them. Well, let me tell you, if you're not certain about what the apostles are telling you, go to Jesus. Don't go to yourself. Don't go to your opinion. And yet we hear that all the time. I can remember a time I was in the hospital and I was talking with this guy. And he made this comment. He says, well, I just know a loving God would not. And then he went on with some fanciful idea. I'm like, well, that's not what it says. So, well, you know, I don't like that part. Okay, and so what? You don't have to like it. It's just true. So, and again, I hear that where people say, well, you know, I'm just not comfortable with this idea, or I believe most of the Bible. Well, how do you pick what parts you don't like? So, again, either all of it's true or none of it's true. You can't live in that, a piece of this and a piece of that. But anyway, we know that the apostles are unique, right? Because the apostles had experience with Jesus Christ. They had sight of the risen Lord. They had commissioned by Christ's authority. And they're unique in their inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So the words of the apostle can't just be ignored. It's not an opinion. 
Right? And again, like I said, if you struggle with the words in the epistles, go to the words Christ gave. That's the comparator. Right? We understand Paul by understanding Jesus, not by understanding our own opinion of what Paul was trying to say. Hope that didn't upset anybody there. Um, all right. Number th- verse 30. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, when I used to read these uh, in the epistles. Almost all of Paul's epistles start this way. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And it sounds kind of superficial. It sounds kind of like, hello, how are you? Oh, I'm fine. Thank you very much. But it's not. It's much, much deeper than that. Grace and peace are fundamental to what it means to be Christian. The very nature of salvation is peace. It's reconciliation. It's peace with God. It's peace with fellow man. And it's peace within. I think for for many of us, especially if we became a Christian late in life, we struggle with peace even within ourselves. We know that Jesus Christ forgives us for what we did, but we don't forgive ourselves. And yet that's what reconciliation is. It's reconciliation to God, to everyone around you, and to yourself, and that is where peace comes from. You cannot find peace any other way. And we talk about that song, All is Well. All is well because we're in peace with Jesus Christ. Yeah, we have this period of time we have to live on this planet, but it is nothing compared to what we get to spend eternity with the Father in ultimate peace. And then again, the only source of salvation is grace. God's free favor to men without any contribution by the good works or any inherited merit that we might bring. I remember when I was uh, first... Uh, and, and I heard the gospel message many, many times. And yet one day it rang in. I heard it. And I remember the pastor that was leading me, he said, well, if you died today, do you think you'd go to heaven? And I said, sure. And he said, why? I said, well, I've been more good than bad. I think I got enough weight on the good side to get there. And he's like, yeah, that's not what this is about. And he shared with me the message, and it was amazing how, I mean, I'd heard the message many, many times, but somehow, boom, it made sense. It's not about me. It's not about anything I could bring. Even if I could be perfect, which guarantee anybody who knows me knows that ain't possible. Uh, But that's not what it's about. It's not about me. It's not about what I can bring. It's all about what Christ did on the cross. And you understand that's a very big difference with the Judaizers that are there trying to explain to people, you need to do all these X, Y, Z things so that you can be saved by Jesus Christ. Totally opposite message. We read in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is this gift of God, not a result of works, so that no man may boast. Right? Clearly, if you could... Go to heaven and say, oh, yeah, I remember that. I did four trips with Samaritan's Purse. So I get to go into this better spot, right? And I read my Bible every day. Didn't miss it once, right? Then you're boasting. That's not what it's about. It's not about what you did. You did what you did because it's the right thing to do. It's to serve people. 
Right? Jesus Christ taught us to serve. We go to Samaritans first because we get to serve people. That's how we do it. We read God's word every day because he tells us to store it in our heart, to know it. So that when these things in our lives show up, this little bell goes off. And, eh, 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 don't go that way. We already know the truth. It says don't go that way. It's always interesting when someone says, well, this is what I think I should do. I prayed about it, and God said this is what I should do. Really? Because it contradicts Scripture, so I find that unlikely. Right? <laughs> so. Anyway, that's a verse we're very much familiar with. And again, the Judaizers are going to try to mix this law with grace, and they just don't mix like vinegar and water. You know, they don't mix. Salvation is not a mix of earned merit by obedience to the law and undeserved grace from God. They're opposites. They're incompatible. Our freedom in Christ comes not from what we do or don't do, what we did or didn't do, or what we might do or might not do. It comes strictly through the grace of Jesus Christ. And God's grace was fully exhibited on the cross. And the unique part is that we have this historical event, the death of Jesus on the cross, that is an experiential event for us today. Christianity is a religion of history and of experience. We don't get disconnected from that. Right? It's a truly experienced event. And again, I, I, I struggle because, like I said, I'd, I'd heard the message many, many, many times, and one day it clicked. And there's all sorts of theories. I'm not going to get into Calvinism and Arminianism and all those theories, but there's just, I just know for me, there was a day that it clicked. Right. So in the beginning of the letter, and indeed many of the letters, Paul wishes his readers grace and peace that only comes from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So clearly there is nothing superficial about that greeting. He is wishing upon his readers the most important thing that Christianity has to offer, the grace that comes through God and the peace that comes with a life and relationship with Jesus Christ. So hopefully as you read the other epistles, you'll, you'll see how significant that is. All right, verse 4, Galatians 1, verse 4. Who gave himself for our sins that he might rescue us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father. Now, it's interesting when we talk about this evil age. And as Dan pointed out, the stuff that's going on in our world today, I just, it's evil. I mean, it's just absolutely evil. Um, and, and he's promised to rescue us from this evil age. And the death of Jesus Christ from the Christ delivers us from the evil of the present age and delivers us to a place where we have the peace and reconciliation of God. Now, realize that's rescuing us from that evil age, right? So the non-believer is still in that evil age. Um, and the, Jesus Christ dying on the cross was not an act of heroism. It was a necessary sacrifice for sin. And it echoes the Old Testament sin offering. And we see it repeated in Romans chapter 8, verses 1 to 4. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, weak 
as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as an offering for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So Christ became a curse for us. The death of Jesus Christ negates any thought we might have of our own righteousness. We were incapable of paying the penalty that we owed. The only way that penalty could be paid is for the perfect lamb, Jesus Christ, to pay that penalty for us. Only way it could happen. And so we have to understand that the gospel message is a message of rescue. We have been rescued from this evil age and brought to the age to come because we are with Jesus Christ. God rescued the Israelites from Egypt, rescued Peter from prison, rescued Paul from the angry mob, and he rescues us from this evil age. Now, it's important to understand the difference between the evil age and the evil world. Because as we know, he did not take us out of the evil world. We're still here, right? But God's purpose by leaving us in the evil world, but outside of the evil age, means that we can be the salt of the earth. We can be the light of the world. We can take what we learn from Jesus Christ and how we live our life and help reflect that to an evil world. Bring the message, the gospel message of Jesus Christ to those people around us. So they too can be free of this evil age. The Bible divides time as sort of this age and the age to come. And Jesus Christ started the age to come. The age that is without evil. Jesus Christ is without evil. And as belonging to him, we are out of that evil age. Now, does that mean we don't do wrong? Absolutely not. We still have that seed of disobedience within us. But the key is we know we're doing wrong because we know what right is. We have a Holy Spirit that sits within us and says, I don't think so. That's not a good idea. All right. We talked, uh, at, I think it was at the elders meeting, about people that are really bad don't think they're bad. It's only people that are good that know they're bad. They know, I shouldn't have done that. And that takes that special presence of God in your life, the Holy Spirit talking to you that says, yeah, you should have done that. Right? Because if you're bad, you're like, you don't know it. It was what you did is what you normally do. So the other thing I want to make a point to is that Christ's death was no accident. Right? It was the plan. It was the plan for the very beginning. This was no plan B. I listen to people say, well, it's because God didn't know that they were going to crucify him. No, that was the plan. Sorry, that was the plan. Because it happened according to the will of our God and Father. Both our rescue from this present age and the means by which our rescue was affected was fully intentional by God. In the cross, the will of the Father and the will of the Son was in perfect harmony. Jesus didn't get made to do something he didn't want to do. He wasn't coerced by God to do something he didn't want to do. No, he did exactly what they had agreed they would do to bring us 
out of the evil age. So we see in verse, the first verses of Galatians three critical points. Points that will become the bedrock of Paul's missionary journey and his messages to the churches. First, Christ died for our sins to rescue us from this evil age. Two, Paul was appointed by um, God the Father and Jesus Christ to bear witness to Christ who rose again. And third, salvation is a gift to us who believe in the grace and peace of what Christ and Paul witnessed to. Every piece of that is crucial to the road to salvation. We talked about how Christianity is both historical and experiential. We as believers share that experience. We share with our non-believing friends the truth of the gospel message. We share with our non-believing friends the experience of being lifted out of the evil age. That's our responsibility. There could be no message without the unique messengers that first arrived as the apostles. And then the responsibilities that we have now in sharing the message that Jesus Christ and the apostles brought to us. So Paul ends the, in verse 5 with the doxology. To whom be the glory forever. Amen. So Paul ends verse 5, or, uh, or the first five verses rather, recognizing the glory due to Jesus Christ. The glory that is all his. Right? We repeat it at the end of the Lord's Prayer. We say to ourselves, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Right? We recognize the glory that belongs to Jesus Christ, that he rose, resurrected in his full glory. And we know there is an age to come when that glory will come back and reestablish this as the second coming. But in the meantime, we live in that age that is to come because we have that relationship with Jesus Christ who is in his glory. I love the verse in... Um, John 1, verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw His glory. Glory is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And that's interesting. When I, when I read in the, in the Scriptures and people see the glory of Jesus Christ, I can't imagine what it must be like. I mean, this, you know, you, 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 on your knees, you know, the, um, what is it? Um, I always love these CRS moments. Um, Anyway, this band was talking about, you know, when they first meet God, what am I going to do? Am I going to sing praise or am I going to fall flat on my face? I think I'm going to fall flat on my face. I think the glory is going to be so overwhelming that I am just going to be on my face. Um, I, I just think it's going to be an amazing thing, the glory of Jesus Christ. And that is where we are headed. Um, in the meantime, though, we get to live in this age where we are free of the evil age and we get to be with Jesus Christ. We are free in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we are grateful is just too soft a word. We are overwhelmed. We are so thankful um, that we get to live in this new age with you, that we get to experience you. We get to sense the right and wrong. We know 
that your death on the cross, the payment for our sin, is the only thing that brings us to reconciliation with the Father. The rest of anything we do is but dirty rags. Lord, I just help, hope to uh, help. Lord, I hope that help us to share that message with others, to be confident in this age that you've put us in, our confidence in our faith. We just again thank you for all that you do. In Jesus' name, amen.